the question we're going to look at from John 15 is, do troubles push you away from God or toward God? And the lesson is this. Do you know how valuable troubles can be in our lives? God has designed it that we go through life in the inexorable struggle against the world, the flesh, the devil. Our flesh, the world arrayed against us, and the devil and his minions. And God says, as we go through with that combination along with all of our frailties and struggles, those troubles are the crucible. They're the refiner's pot. They are the, the place of great treasure. Let's study that tonight. First of all, let's watch the farmer, God the Father, at work. Why does it take so much effort on God our Father's part to prune us constantly? Well, we can learn from the mischievous nature of the rambling, rapid-growing grapevine. This is a review of why we're looking at this. In every way, we're like those vines, if you think about it. Basically this, the biggest enemy of the grape is itself, and in our spiritual lives, our biggest impediment to growth is usually ourself, because we, like grapes, love to grow and expand our territory. And so the grape loves to do everything but bear fruit, and they have to be pruned in order to do that. And we're so much like the grape and its tendency to grow vigorously in every direction. That's how we are in our lives. And so we need pruning. We, like those vines, have a lot of non-fruitful wood. What's interesting is you couldn't use the trimmings from the grapes in the fires of the tabernacle. It's very interesting. There's a lot of wood that come out of the, the grape arbors, but God wouldn't allow them to be used, and it was always a portrait of needless growth in the wrong direction. We, like the grapevines, become dense. In other words, we call it busy. In fact, that's a people almost like to wear a tag, I'm busy. You know, it's kind of a, they like to have their cell phone and their pager going and their PDA and everything else, and we just kind of thrive on that. And when we become dense, also known as busy in all of our external leaf productions, busy in ministry, busy at work, busy in our family, busy in our athletics, busy being amused and investing and just being busy as a lifestyle, and our stress and our anxieties and sins start building up. We, like the grapevines in this dense condition of all this stuff going on, lack the sun. The problem with them is that the overarching carpet of leaves blocks the sun from getting underneath where the vines are growing. And so in our lives, the Son of God can't reach into the areas where fruit should form in our life because we're so busy. We don't, we're, we're so busy we can't let the Word of God come into all those things. God wants to put His Word into our ministry. Look at the ministry work family. God wants our, the Word of God to come into our ministry. He said, worship the Lord, and Him only shalt thou serve. He wants the Word of God to come into our work. We should be the most honest business people in Tulsa. It should be known. In fact, recently someone told me that, that they walked into a business and there's a $20 bill laying on the floor and they picked it up and said someone must have dropped this and everyone ran forward to, to uh, take it and said they'd give it to someone if they showed up. You know, that is not a real honest uh, appearance of people. Everybody is greedy these days in business and it seems like our world is run on dishonesty. But God says, I want to shine in to your business life, to your family life. I want the Word of God to be as it says. In fact, in Deuteronomy 6, it says the only goal that we should have in our parenting is that we should talk about God when we rise up, when we sit at the meals, when we walk through the way, and when we go to bed at night. And I wonder, on those four scores, as God talked about, is the sunlight of the Son of God invading your family? You know, when I meet people and they come in, they say, we don't know what to do with our children. We don't know what to do with our marriage, with our family. We don't know what to do with our problems. I say, are you shining the light of the Word in and in every other area? 
Pruning is very painful. Left to ourselves, we're like the great plant. We always want to expand our territory and, and instead of producing fruit for God. What's the spiritual result? Our lives can look incredibly green and healthy, full of growth and impressive achievements. But the bottom line is to the Lord, who is the only fruit inspector, by the way. We're not supposed to go around and lift everybody's leaves and look at them. We're supposed to let the Lord come close to us And when he looks at us, we have an underwhelming harvest of bringing glory to God by eternal fruit in our lives. Well, we know the vine dresser, and these are are the three principles that we've been studying over and over from John 15. If your life consistently bears no fruit, God will intervene and discipline you. He lifts us up. He cleans us. He chastens. He does whatever it takes. He will not allow a believer to perpetuate a non-fruit-bearing season in their life. Secondly, we saw if our life bears some fruit, God will intervene to prune us. The first one is chastening. The second one is pruning. The vine dresser's secret in our life for more is less. We need to cut stuff away. And finally, if our life bears a lot of fruit, God invites us to abide more deeply with him, to know him intimately, personally, deeply in our lives. Let's understand pruning. This is a little chart. First question, how do you know that you're chastened or pruned? Both of them produce pain. So if you're in a painful time, you're either chastened or pruned in your life. Why does this happen? Well, chastening immediately differentiates itself because it's because we're doing something wrong. We're sinning. And and we need to, to understand the word sin. If we transgress God's way, we're sinning. And so if we're sinning and there's pain, it's chastening. If we're doing what's right and if our life, if we... Uh, our, and I remember old C.T. Studd, the great missionary, he used to go through the scriptures and look at everything God expected. He'd read through the Bible three or four times a year, and he put a little check mark by everything he knew he was obeying in his life, and then he put a little another mark by those he knew he was struggling with. And so if you know in your life, as much as is humanly as fallen, redeemed sinners to do, if we know we're doing right and there's still pain in our life, there's still stress, and and uh, we feel that the the kind of pressure of the, of the world upon us and, and things are going wrong, it could be that we're being pruned. But if we're doing wrong and that happens, then you can be sure that you're being chastened. Well, the next question uh, to check out what's happening, is there any fruit in your life? If there's no fruit in your life, if there's not an increasing uh, uh, tendency in our life toward obedience to the Lord, and if there's not an increasing evidence of the fruit of God in our life, If there's no fruit showing, then it's chastening. If there's fruit in our life, though sometimes we're not uh, fully deploying all of that we could be, but there is a a steady, progressive, ongoing, fruitful walk, and yet we're still experiencing that pain, then it's pruning. Next, what's Christ's desire in all this? Jesus wants one thing, fruit. Fruit. You remember the old uh, hamburger ads that this older lady was always going, where's the meat in my hamburger? Well, God walks around saying, where is the fruit in your life? I want it. When he prunes us, it's not that we don't have fruit. He wants us to have more fruit. See, that's why Jesus said in his little epistle to the Laodiceans, he says, I don't like it that you are in the middle. You say, I'm not bad, and I'm not, you know, overzealous. I'm just kind of okay. He He wants to vomit those kind of Christians out because God does not want us to be content not doing all the bad stuff they do and not being crazy and, you know, zealous. He he wants us to either be hot or cold. If we're cold, 
He'll chasten us with pain until there's fruit. If we're hot, then he'll work on us and pinch away parts of our life so we'll bear more fruit. Next question, what has to go in our life? Sin, if we're being chastened and, and if uh, we're doing wrong. Self is what God's working on the pruning. You see, remember the biggest handicap of the grape is itself, but the biggest handicap of the Christian is ourself. We are so self-reliant. We're so self-sufficient. We're so easily self-motivated and self-impelled. We, we, we find that the motivation for what we do frequently comes from self. And God says, I want to lead you more and more to be led by my spirit. You understand what it says? For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. They are the sons and daughters that are pleasing, that are fruitful, because they're not led by their own ambitions and their own desires. They're led by the spirit. So God wants self to go. Next question, what, what do we feel? Well, if we're being chastened, we feel guilt and sadness, coldness. We feel distance. We feel the heavens are brass. The Bible's heavy as lead. But if we're being pruned, we feel relief. We say, yes, Lord, I knew that that was something that should go in my life. I knew that I should lessen that in my life. I knew that I should do this. I knew that, that I should uh, maybe lessen my, my listening to, to just the inane babble of, of the radio or television and substitute that for maybe the listening of the scriptures or memorization or whatever. And so there's a relief in our life when God makes your car break down, which is your mobile radio player, you know, and then you can't listen to it and you just go, oh, thanks, I got the lesson. And then there's trust. We trust that God knows what he's doing. He does all things well and the judge of all the earth does right. And so we trust him when he's pruning us. What's the proper response for chastening? Stop the sin. Repent. Agree with God. Cut it off. Mortify it. Say no. Confess. Forsake. All those biblical words. What's the, the uh, proper response for pruning? Thank God for the fruit. Say, thank you, Lord, that you give me the opportunity to offer more of my life and more of my strength to you and to offer more of my the, the, the eternal time. We have time to redeem for eternity every day. Thank you for letting me redeem this time to you. Finally, when does chastening end? When we stop sinning. That's pretty simple. When does pruning end? When God finishes with us. And as I shared with you, it seems like the big three of the New Testament, Peter, John, and Paul, were being pruned to the end of their lives. They talk about it, and we'll see some of those verses tonight. What a thrill that God never stops working with us. He never stops seeking to lavish his matchless love on us and call us to ever-deepening levels of commitment and ever-greater amounts of fruitfulness in our life. Well, chastening and pruning, first of all, grows the fruit of patience. And this is a, a series, and we're going to go through a few of them tonight, of scriptures. And I'm going to read them to you, and you might want to jot them down and think about them and take them beyond tonight. So number one, uh, let's look at how chastening and pruning grows the fruit of patience in our life. Romans 5.3. And not only that, where he's talking about the, the wonders of justification, all the fifth chapter. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Now, most of us don't. Do you glory in tribulations? I mean, we've been raised, you know, with the rapture. We don't even want to get near the tribulation, let alone any in our own life, right? We're so, few, you know, we're so conscious. We want to stay as far away from tribulations as possible. God wants to get us as close to tribulations as possible because that's the environment where we grow. And so we rejoice. 
uh, and glory in tribulations, knowing that the tribulation produces perseverance. That's the patience we need. That's the hupomone, the abiding under. We, we keep getting into those situations where we, where we just are so frustrated because everything's going wrong, and instead of getting that fleshly response, God wants us glorying in the fact that he's enlarging our capacity to bear with disappointments, with trials, with difficulties, with the unexpected. You know, some people, they won't do anything if they haven't got it all mapped out. I mean, there's no spur of the moment for them. They've got to plan it out. And those people really have trouble with this kind of stuff because they cannot learn as they go through. They've got to think about it way in advance. And God says, you can't plan that far ahead. He says, glory in the unexpected tribulations because it will produce this fruit of patience. Another great verse, James 1, 3, and 4, knowing that the testing, there's, there's what we're talking about, the testing, the refining. Remember I told you silver needs intense heat and, and caustic agents. God brings heat into our life, the pressure, and he brings the caustic agents. Sometimes they're people, sometimes they're relatives, sometimes they're our children, sometimes they're our husbands or wives, or our boss or our employees, or just the weather, or just the economy. He brings these caustic agents in, and the testing of our faith, produces patience. Faith in what? Faith that God is orchestrating everything together for his good in my life, and I need to get on the, on the boat with him. I need to realize that God is in charge, and that if I seek him first, and if I seek his rule in my life, he adds everything else to my life. What we do is we try and add everything else and then turn it over to him, because we don't think he really knows how to put it all together. It's one of the interesting things. When you work with college students, I mean, I was up at TU, and I was telling them, I says, guess who designed sex? Not the networks, not the, the porn industry, not the, the MTV. They didn't design it. Who designed it? God did. And if you follow their rules, you'll have gravel in your mouth. You'll have fire in your clothes, as the writer of Proverbs talks about. But if you follow the author and the designer, God himself's plan, you'll have a lifelong time of being intoxicated with your husband or wife. That's what God designs. And he says, trust me. If you're frustrated about any part of your life, whether it's your marital status or your dating status or your future status, God says, trust me. I always give the best to those that let me make the choices for them. But let patience have its perfect work. Let it mature in you that you may be perfect and complete, not perfect, sinless, perfect, mature, complete, lacking nothing. God wants to continually bring that fruit of patience into our life, and it's such a wonderful fruit. Another verse, Hebrews 10, for you have the need of endurance. The writer of Hebrews said to these Hebrew Jewish Christians, he says, you need to learn this. You need to learn to bear up under it so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. You know, some people miss part of what God's planned offering to them is, his will for them, because they are not patient. You know, we've got to watch out for this, this automaton type of, of belief. People think that whatever happens to them in their life, that's God's will. If that's so, that's a sorry thing. I can't imagine that God only wants to give his blessings to a few in their lives. There are a lot of people that will not wait for God for his partner for their life. Yes, once you marry that person, it is God's will, but it wasn't before. And you shouldn't have disobeyed him. See, there are so many things in our life that if we have the mind of Christ and if we wait upon the Lord, wait patiently on the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. But a lot of people are impatient and they won't wait. And then they get second or third or fourth or tenth best. You know, 
We have a lot of choices in life. It is not que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. God is going to gauge at the judgment seat of Christ, not whether or not we acted out our script that he gave us, whether or not we willfully chose to obey and seek him. And one of the great lessons is through the chastening and pruning which grows the fruit of patience in our life. Next, chastening and pruning harvest the fruit of joy in our lives. Here's a great one. Psalm 30 and verse 5 says this, For his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. What's all that about? It's kind of like a child who disobeys, who gets the, the just desert, the punishment, the discipline they need, and they weep for that moment, but the joy comes as they've learned the lesson. And he says, I'm dealing with you as children. And I'm telling you, you'll harvest the fruit of joy as you go through my chastening and pruning. Another great verse, Psalm 126, those who sow in tears reap in joy. Now, I know this is uh, often postured as, as a soul-winning verse, but it's also talking about the fact that the life that we live is very difficult. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. That is the harvest of a life that is lived in the chastening and pruning of God that harvests the fruit of joy because we sow the seed. And the seed is engrafted word in our lives and we sow that by our lives and we patiently endure through the trials and we keep responding to God. and We reap a harvest of joy in our life. Thirdly, chastening and pruning leads us to the fruit of maturity. Great verse on that is Ecclesiastes 7. Sorrow is better than laughter. Boy, try and convince our society of that. Our society thinks you have to be constantly giddy. And there, there's no, no end to the levity. And God says that sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. Do you know, there's something about what it says about that we should seek to have quietness in our life. We should seek to, to order our lives in such a way that there is a stillness and a quietness and a sobriety. You know what it says a, a beautiful woman looks like? She has the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit. Quiet. That's how I can tell the young ladies who are following God's plan and the ones who are following the world's plan. God's plan is a godly woman with a quiet and gentle spirit about her. The world's plan is a showy, bravado, provocative, in-your-face kind of woman. And that isn't pleasing to God, and it shouldn't be pleasing to any men of God. Think about that. Who are you attracted to, the godly ones or the worldly ones? It shows what your appetites are. God says the fruit of maturity leads to a sobriety and a quietness and a self-examination. Another great verse, 1 Peter 5.10, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, what a negative guy. I mean, he wouldn't make it on, on uh, TBN, I don't think. They wouldn't want him on there. He's too negative. He says you've got to suffer for a while. He'll perfect after you suffer a while. That perfect is mature, established. The word is buttress. It was a word in the, in the Greco-Roman world for how they would build these, these huge vaulted bridges over chasms. God will buttress. He'll put a, a huge support underneath us. He'll strengthen us and settle us after we've suffered for a while because chastening and pruning, that suffering, leads us to the fruit 
of maturity. Do you know how you go from being a little boy just knowing your sins are forgiven to a young man that's fighting the devil to a, a father of the faith who knows God? you know how you do that? Through the fruit of maturity, through proper responses when God is pinching away the areas that he knows we don't need in our life and we chase after and weep over. No, we should say, take them. I want to be consecrated to you. Well, chastening and pruning also develops the fruit of righteousness in us. Now we're back to Hebrews 12. And if you remember this uh, long session that we did on that last week, and, and I told you about the three levels, now, right now, when you're in the midst of the fire, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Remember, both cause pain. Chastening and pruning cause pain. So he's in the context of chastening and pruning. But to develop... Righteousness, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness, but only to those who have been trained by it. Not if you resist it, not if you blow it off, not if you deaden your heart. Uh, I, I always remember my good friend Carl from uh, Olney, Texas. He had a 10,000-acre cattle ranch. They raised Barzonas, and he used to take me out there. He was my roommate at college, and, and he'd show me his Barzonas. We'd go to Texas, and... And one of his favorite things was to take a hat pin and jab it in the brands. Those cows never stopped chewing. You could stick that hat pin right in their brand mark with the big whatever his brand was. They felt nothing. A lot of people pride themselves in their fact that that, that they don't blush at sin, that they're not troubled at, at wickedness and all that. That's because they haven't been trained into the peaceful fruit of righteousness because they have not responded properly to the chastening and pruning of God. And so it's kind of like a vicious cycle. They get colder. They get more distant. They get more anxious. They get more sorrowful. They get more unhappy. Then they try and fill their life with more stuff. I mean, when everybody leaves your development in the morning and you're on the school bus or in your car or whatever, look in all their cars or in their garages. Do you know why people's garages are packed with stuff? Because they're searching everywhere for happiness and they can't find it. Money just gives them more places to search for it, more stuff to buy. I looked in one of the garages in our house. They actually have a brand new motorcycle propped up, leaning on one of their nice new cars. They can't fit it all in their garage. They got so, they're in such pursuit of happiness. When God says happiness comes painfully, And it only comes through chastening and pruning as we develop the fruit of righteousness when we're trained, when we properly respond to the pruning and chastening of God. Well, the next one, chastening and pruning silences the devil. Now, see, this gives a little more of the cosmic aspect of this. This is kind of exciting. Do you want to do something to magnify the Lord? Respond properly to the chastening and to the pruning hand of God. You see what you mean? Well, do you remember the account of Job? By the way, do you realize Job did not have the benefit of knowing about chapter 1 or 2? Job only knew about 3 through 42. He didn't know about the deal that was made in heaven. When the devil came up and, and Satan answered the Lord and says, does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you made a hedge around him, around his household, around all he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, which was true. By the way, every good and perfect gift is from above. It's all God's blessing. What do we have that we didn't receive from God? Nothing, Paul said. And why do we glory like we did it? Some people act like they're skilled in their field because they're so clever and smart. It's a gift from God. And we should acknowledge that. And Job did. And then he says, and his possessions have increased in the land. But look at verse 20. Remember what happened 
the Lord gave permission between verse uh, uh, 10 there and verse 20 and those ensuing 10 verses, God says you can touch him, you can touch everything he has except him. You can touch his family, you can, touch, you can even get his health. You just can't kill him. So God gave him carte blanche. He gave him a blank check to, to just do whatever he wanted. And look at this. After all the bad stuff, Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshipped. Worshipped the God. He worshipped the God of the mountains when you have everything, the God of the valleys when you don't have everything. He's the same God. He's wonderful in both places. He's wonderful when you have ten kids and 6,000 camels and sheep and goats and everything, and he's wonderful when you don't. And so he worshipped. Worthship. He ascribed to God how worthy he was uh, that because he's God, and not because of anything on my part. Verse 21, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I returned. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Now, can you say that? Can you say that when you lose someone you love? Can you say that when you lose something you love? Can you say that when you realize your limitations and everything else? When you go through the fires of affliction, can you say that? The Lord is given, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, no matter what he does. I bless his name. I'll praise your name, Lord, until I die. I'll praise your name, Lord, my whole life long. It doesn't matter whether I'm up here or down there or in between or don't even have an awareness like John Newton did. He didn't even know where he was. He had Alzheimer's, but he praised the Lord. See, that's, that's the purpose we make in our heart. But look at this. Silence the devil. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Satan said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You do that to him, he'll curse you. You do that to him, he'll, he'll give up on you. You see, when you and I go through chastening and pruning, we get the privilege of silencing our adversary, the devil. What else can he say? The great accuser. And see, God is wanting us to be a part of something so much bigger. In fact, I was explaining to my son the other day. We were driving around. He's talking about the spiritual world and trying to fit it all together. And I tried to talk to him in a language he understands. I says, okay, let's talk about computers. I said, did you know that when you type on the screen, when you put all of the commands around it, every letter is surrounded by a hard return or a bold or the font or the, the uh, you know, whatever you're, you're doing. The underlying, there's all this, but all we see is the finished product on the screen. But in and surrounding all of that communication is the programming. It's the, the language that the computer sees that we don't, and it responds to. Did you know in a very real sense, God wants us to realize that all around our lives, there is this cosmic affair going on between God and the devil, the God of this world. And, and we are just like a pawn in the middle of it all. And God says, I want you to be much more aware of that rather than your little world of, of you know, whether you're going to have the latest music stuff or whether you're going to have the latest, you know, shoes or clothes or style or whatever. We get all caught up with stuff that is, that is useless and purposeless and non-eternal when there's this cosmic conflict going all around us. And God is saying, I'm looking to and fro throughout the earth to find someone who is going to respond in a right way toward me so that I can show myself strong through them. So next time you're chastened, repent. Silence the devil. The devil says, yeah, you know, if you just give them this opportunity, they'll run for it. They'll, they'll uh, forsake uh, the, the 
partner their youth. They'll forsake the, the, the discipline of their parents. They'll forsake the honesty and integrity of their job deserves. They'll forsake, you know, whatever it is. And the Lord says, no, they won't. And he chastens us, and we respond and say, I shouldn't have done that. Lord, I repent. I'm coming back. And that silences the devil, and it's a wonderful ministry we can have for the glory of God. Next, chasing and pruning trains us in God's way. It's his training program. You know how the sports teams go off for their training camps? This is God's training camp, chastening and pruning. We saw it this morning. Remember the five pearls of Psalm 119? Here are two of them. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But when I got in your training camp of going God's way through your chastening and pruning, now I keep your word. And remember the agent that God uses, the knife of his pruning is the word of God. We should have this word richly dwelling us because God's pruning and his chastening is through his word. We respond to his word. How do we know we're supposed to repent? Because the Bible says repent. How do we know we're supposed to cleanse ourselves and purge ourselves from the filthiness? How do we know we're supposed to turn from sin and mortify? Because the word of God says so. Not because we feel like it or we heard it somewhere. We should have lives that are responding to God's way. That's why the more you understand the Bible, the more clear your life becomes. Because 99 plus percent of all of God's will is revealed in this book. It's whether we obey it or not. And there's a great blessing for obedience. That's what God says. The other Psalm 119 verses, verse 71, it's good for me I've been afflicted. Now you know you're maturing. You've got that lesson twice or three times back. Maturity comes by responding to God's way because it's good for me to be afflicted because I'm learning your statutes. I'm learning what you want me to do. I'm learning what I'm not supposed to do. I'm learning how if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. I learned that, that if I long for that, that, that I'm an adulterer and adulteress. If I'm a friend of the world, I become God's enemy. I don't want to be that. I want to be God's friend. I want to walk with him. I want to know him. And so pruning and chastening trains us in God's way. Well, chastening and pruning also makes our lives pure. Remember the purifying aspect? Several verses on this. Job 23.10, but he knows the way I take, and when he's tested me, I'll come forth as gold. I can't even read that without thinking about my classmate that lived across the hall from me at school. He was great. He was one of the best basketball players I ever saw. He had one of the most beautiful voices I ever heard a man have. The guy was so talented. He was in everything. He was in every sport. He was in drama. He sang. He traveled. He was good looking and tall and everything. One day he came down the hall and he said, you know, I just something's wrong with my eye. And so he finally decided he was going to go see the doctor. And he went to see the doctor and he had one of the most rapid growing tumors that's possible inside his eye. It was going to explode his eye. And he went to the doctor. They immediately rushed him to surgery and they took his eye out. He lost his eye. Cancer of the eye. And you know what? As he was in the hospital with a patch over his eye reading his Bible, he read, but he knows the way that I take. And when he's testing me, I'll come forth as gold. And he based his whole life's ministry on that event. And now he sings. In fact, when we had that patch the pirate thing up here, that's, that's the guy. His name is Ron Hamilton. He's the pirate because he lost his eye with cancer of the eye. And his theme song of his life is this verse. And he sings it all over the country. And he talks to people about letting the crucible of God's chastening and pruning. You know what was in his life? He couldn't pick what he wanted to do. He was so good in sports. He was so good in drama. He was so good in speech. He was so good looking and he was from a wealthy family. He had everything going for him. And God said, I've got to trim you a little bit. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take your ability to be a dead-eye sportsman. Went the eye. And he became 
the dedicated servant of God. You see, he rejoices now in his cancer. Another verse, Psalm 66, 10 and 12, For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. Remember this morning, the heat, the caustic stuff I told you about? You have brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. You know, when people advance in your job and it's crushing your ego because they're getting ahead and you're not. You let them go right over our heads. And we went through the fire and through the water. But look at this. But you brought us out to rich fulfillment. See, chasing and pruning makes our lives pure. The true riches are not getting on the top of the business world. It's not getting on top of the school crowd and show yourself that you're Mr. Macho, Tuffo, Wuffo, or whatever. It is being brought to rich fulfillment by God. See, the Lord is the one that gives true riches. Another one that's great. Isaiah 1.25, I will turn my hand against you, God said, and thoroughly purge away your dross. See, God's committed to this. This is the Old Testament to Israel. He's still doing the same thing in the New Testament to us. And take away all your alloy. What's that? That's the lead and the copper and the zinc, so we can be silver, lustrous for him. Another great one, Proverbs 17, the refining pot for silver and the furnace for gold. But the Lord, he's testing our hearts. He's refining us. He wants us to be pure. One more, 1 Peter 1, 7, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, God allows our faith, our trust in his ability to provide, his ability to lead, his ability to satisfy us. Remember, one of Christ's great temptations was Jesus was tempted in the wilderness to fulfill a legitimate desire in an illegitimate way. Now, a lot of people, when, when I minister to them and Don and, and we pray with them and counsel with them, they say, oh, but the Lord was never tempted like I was. Yes, he was. The main temptation that we go through is, are we going to fulfill our legitimate desires in an illegitimate way? And what the Lord says is, I'm going to test your faith with fire. I'm going to see if you're going to let me provide your pleasures, provide your security, provide your happiness and joy in life, to provide what you need. Are you going to let me do it? I'm going to test you with fire. And when we pass the test, we're found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Christ because he tests us to make our lives pure so that when he comes for us or calls, that we're not ashamed before him. Well, chastening and pruning also cultivates a Christ-likeness in our lives. Just a few verses, back to Hebrews 12. Uh, that's such a fertile passage on this whole pruning and chastening. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us. It's just kind of a giving, given that fathers should be involved in the, the correction of their children. They shouldn't be the absentee dad. They shouldn't be the, the, you know, the sugar daddy that just showers the presents and the mother does all the work. It's fathers are supposed to be vitally involved. In, in godly correction, not anger-mongering or anything like that, but actual biblical correction where you explain what they did wrong, where you, where you give them the appropriate punishment, where you call them to repentance and you let them pray and you let them be reconciled. And then, you know, I mean, it's just the whole process. And we paid them respect. And by the way, that speaks to children. Not only should dads be correcting, but children should respect the correctors. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of Spirits? That's one of the great names of God. There are over 430 different names and titles of God in the Bible. That's a great one right there. The Father of Spirits. I mean, there is not one being that is, that is alive in this universe that God did not create. Not one. 
So that means there are no aliens and there are no civilizations and there are no other things out there because the creator of the universe has revealed everything that we ever need to know. And if something is buzzing around our universe that's not in this book, then it's not what we think it is because he's the father of all life forces in this universe, the father of spirits, and nothing has life apart from him or being. So this little side. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as it seemed best to them. That talks about while you're at home. But he, that's our father, the pruner, for our prophet, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Why are we chastened and pruned? So we can cultivate Christ's likeness, so we can partake of his holiness, so he can see the reflection of Christ in us. That's the purpose. Here's another great verse from 1 Peter. Beloved, 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing is happening to you. Verse 13, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. See, we get to cultivate and partake in Christ's likeness to the extent that we partake, look at this, in Christ's sufferings. You and I, are to partake in Christ's sufferings. Jesus Christ suffered. You, ought to, you want to read a puzzling verse in the Bible? You know what it says about Jesus' earthly life? He learned obedience. He learned obedience. Yes, there are things Jesus learned as a human through suffering. Part of it is out in the wilderness. That's an interesting thought about Though he were a son, the writer of Hebrews said, yet learned he obedience through the things that he suffered. Interesting thought. We partake as we also learn obedience to Christ by we suffering through pruning and through chastening. Philippians 3, that I may know him. How do I know him? The fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. I've told you many times the conformity to Christ's death is not only conformed to the concept of his death, but also crucifixion. Crucifixion is a great picture Crucified hands can no longer do what they want to do. Crucified feet, you can't go where you want to go. When you're on a cross, you can't look back. You can only look forward. Uh, you have no future plans when you're crucified, right? You don't have any plan. You're not saying, hey, mark that down on my, my day timer. You know, I'm going to do that in my day runner. You know, you don't have any future plans. All your plans are in the hands of the one that's crucified. And the Bible says I am crucified with Christ. So that means my hands now do his bidding, my feet do his bidding, my Future plans are in his hands. That crown of thorns, so we don't have a crown of pride in our life, and the riven side, a broken heart, for what Christ's heart is broken for. Another great verse, 2 Corinthians 4. I alluded to this this morning, but we have this treasure, our salvation, the Spirit of God, life eternal, endless life, all those things. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's what our bodies are, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. The reason we're in a clay pot is so that God gets all the credit for what happens in our life. As my good friend Tom Harris used to say, I want something to happen in my ministry that I can't plan so that when it happens, God will get all the credit. That's what God wants us to live our lives like. That, that the power may be of God and not of us. And now look at Paul's testimony of what life was like. How would you like to be the premier apostle writing half the New Testament, getting to go to heaven before anybody else and see the thing and come back and write about it and all the other stuff that he saw that were inexpressible. He couldn't even speak of them, but were hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down. In other words, we're knocked down, we're not knocked out, he says. 
verse 10, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our body. See, chastening and pruning, the suffering, the perplexities, the, the, the despair, the, the forsaken feelings that we go through as God prunes and chastens in our life reminds us that our life of Jesus is to be manifest in our body, Christ-likeness. Well, chastening and pruning also magnifies God. Psalm 50 and verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble. Your troubles drive you toward God or away from God? Does it make you call out to him or do you turn your back on him? Call upon me. God wants us to call on him. He wants us to have that reflex that when our crib is hit, our arms go out to him as babies do. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. When we are chastened and pruned and when we're going through terrible trials we can't explain or even even share with people, we're magnifying the Lord when we call out to him and go through them for his glory. John 9, 1 through 3, remember the, the man born blind? Blind from his birth, Jesus said the work of God will be revealed in him. Sometimes some of our, our handicaps, sometimes some of our adversities, some of our, our trials are just simply so God can be glorified. You know, someone told me what a blessing uh, uh, Gary Braswell is in the, in the seniors' flock. I mean, some of those people, you know, they used to complain about how hard it was to get into class until they see him dragging in in his, his wheelchair. It's cut down all the complaining, you know. They realize that, that God wants to have us filled with joy through our handicaps and infirmities. John 11:4. Remember, even Lazarus's death was for the glory of God. Death can glorify God. John 21. Uh, he tells John, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he spoke in these things, he said, follow me. He says, even if you have something awful in your future, glorify me by magnifying me through letting me do what I want to do in your life. And finally, Philippians 1. For I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I should be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. You know what Paul was talking about? He was in prison. He was suffering. He thought maybe he was going to be executed. And while he was in there, the people were, they were accusing him falsely. You know what he said? That's all right. I don't care if I'm suffering in that way. God is showing me that whether by life or by death, I'm going to magnify God. Well, chastening finally promotes victory. 2 Corinthians 12, lest I should be exalted above measure, God knew that Paul couldn't handle everything that he had given him in his life. So, through the abundance of revelations, God gave him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure, unless I go around and, and start being on all the TV shows and showing off how much I know, like we see on all of our Christian television these days. We need a few more thorns, you know. Uh, verse 8, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times it might depart from me. Sometimes God, even though he says you ask anything in my name, part of that in my name, in the name of Jesus means according to the will of, not just blabbering it afterward, it's actually in the character and the person and the will and the direction of Jesus Christ I asked this. And Paul said it wasn't his will and direction to take this away from me. Rather, the Lord said to me in verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect when you're weak. Paul confesses, therefore, most gladly, I'll boast in my infirmities so the power of Christ can rest on me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Do we? 
We hide them. We ignore them or we run from them. Paul says, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake. No, not getting parking tickets for parking the wrong place, but for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, that's when you get to be strong and chastening and pruning promotes victory. That was a pruning time in Paul's life. God said, I'm going to prune away any possibility you're going to brag about everything I've done in your life, so I'm going to buffet you. Perhaps it was with that eye disease, that his runny eyes or whatever it was. God says, I'm going to give you this thorn. I'm not taking it away so you can rejoice in me. Chastening and pruning makes us agree with God about our sin. In Judges, God judged the children of Israel because he wanted to say we've sinned and do with us whatever seems best to you, only deliver us. God wants us to agree with him about our sins. Also in Psalm 32, David said, when I kept silent, he got sicker. But verse 5, when I acknowledged my sin to you and when my iniquity I hadn't hidden, I said, I'll confess my transgressions and you forgave me. See, sometimes this chastening and pruning is for us just to agree with God about what we're really like. Hosea 5, I'll return again till they acknowledge their offense. Then they'll seek my face. See, God wants us to, to agree with him. In Hosea 6, 1, come and let us return to the Lord. He is torn, but he will heal us. He's stricken, but he'll bind us up. In Second Chronicles, for a long time, Israel's been without the true God, without a teaching priest, without law. But when their trouble, in their trouble, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. See, adversity and trial and affliction is to make us Agree with God that we need him and we can't live without him. Chasing and pruning reminds us how much God hates sin. Peter said, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God with us. And if it begins with us, what's God going to do with the people who aren't saved? See, God hates sin so much that he judges and scourges it in our life. Can you imagine for the lives unprotected by Christ what he's going to do with it forever? Well, the moment of truth This is what we're going to pick up next week. What happens if we kind of don't care about this, if it doesn't matter, if we kind of blow through life and just live as we will? Well, there's a day of reckoning coming, the judgment seat of Christ, the fire, the crown that survives the fire, the glassy sea. The next slide talks about that setting. What do we do with what's left? In Revelation 4, we cast our crowns before his throne and say, you're worthy. You are right. You refined me. You gave me a life that counted for eternity. And I want to give back to you the fruit of my life that I live for you. I hope that's your desire. It's my desire tonight. Let's bow for a word of prayer and ask the Lord to help us live the kind of lives that will bear fruit in the name of Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, I thank you tonight for pushing us toward you by trials and troubles. I pray that each one of us will examine our hearts tonight. Are our troubles pushing us toward you? Or are are we pushing ourselves away from you by our wrong response? Lord, let everything that comes into our life push us to seek you more, love you more, trust you more, and turn away from anything that encumbers us from keeping our eyes fixed on you and finishing the race that's before us. Thank you tonight for these dear saints. I pray that because of tonight, there will be choices we make in our life, choices to to endure affliction, to let it bring about the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our life. We'll thank you for all that you do because 
we yield to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.